Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics podcast in association with 23. This is the show that explores the ever-growing world of football analytics and takes on the many tactical and topical discussions within the game. It's episode 55 and we're talking about brains this week. My name is Mark Carey and joining me from his podcast room, no less, is (laughs) my good friend Ryan Bailey. How are you and how's the podcast room? I say podcast room, it's basically second bedroom slash office slash podcast room slash the only other room I've got in the house. So uh, yes, podcast room, it's very nice. I've I've got a desk now, which is one of the few bits of furniture I currently have. So for those who've been following the Ryan Bailey furnishing journey, uh, that's where we're currently at. Um, Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yes, we've got international football upon us, which we do. is kind of good opportunity to to have a break sometimes from the, I was going to say the slog of club football. It's quite relentless, isn't it? It's like football all the time for the domestic league, but international breaks just a slightly slower pace, isn't it? Well, I was going to ask, especially as someone who works in football, do, do you notice a change of pace when there's not league football and midweek Champions League, cup football, etc. going on within the week. Does it does it kind of feel like a bit of a shift or a bit of a slowdown for a, a bit of a breather? Yeah, you could call it a breather. I think it's just also a good opportunity to kind of plan the, the upcoming club football as well and try and, from my perspective, do kind of more evergreen analysis. So things mm. which aren't as time dependent, be able to do some stuff, maybe looking at historically, maybe what's happened across certain leagues over time. So uh yeah, maybe ever so slightly slower, but um, looking forward to, to watching some more international football. You, Ryan Bailey, have been at an international game. You saw England play Switzerland and I did. England won 2-1. I did. And do you know what? It's a very different experience, isn't it? Watching it on the ground, for sure. And actually, for the first time ever, when I've been to Wembley, my partner managed to get us tickets that were in like the lower 
the lower stand so so i wasn't watching from the gods for the first time ever which was really cool actually because normally obviously when you're up high you get a really good view of the pitch don't you and you can kind of get more of a sense of the formation but actually i was i must have been i don't know 20 30 yards away from from the from the sideline and uh, and you kind of just get a sense of like the pace and the angles of the pass and the touches and and the physicality of it more which is quite a cool experience actually um so i really enjoyed that it it wasn't a particularly good game uh, i'm not going to lie from from my it, the weird thing is when you when you're there you kind of get your own judgment on how you think the game is don't you and then it's only afterwards when you uh, you realize how sort of affected by external commentary you are you know commentary mm. within the actual game and people yeah. on twitter and articles and stuff you you realize that you might you feel like you have been watching a very different game to what someone might have seen do, do you ever get that when you go to watch live football I, I absolutely do and I always think this when I come away there's there's a kind of a spectacle around talking about it maybe in club football more so there's a spectacle around it there's interviews obviously before and after yeah. with the managers and with the players there's loads of punditry there's loads of analysis and I always I do kind of smile to myself because I think ultimately it is 22 players running around kicking a bag of wind yeah and we create so much kind of yeah magic around it and so much advertising and all these things and I, I quite like the sort of the purity of just watching it for just what it is. You know, this is the same sport as it was all those years ago, but it's now the only thing that's changed is the kind of the media all around it. So I definitely do think that is the case. What I was going to ask you was, do you see anything of a difference in international football when you're actually there in the ground in terms of the pace of the game or anything like that in terms of is there is it a slower pace? But I know that you don't go to, to watch club football every week, but if you, did you notice any differences when you're there? I think for me, I mean, to start, obviously, it being a friendly, it sort of actually was a bit more of a, True. Uh, a bit more of a placid atmosphere than maybe I thought I was expecting. Because when I've been to Wembley before for a qualifier or something, it obviously is a lot more sort of almost tense and obviously a little bit. Mm. I don't know all the superlatives you want to put, like electric or whatever. But it was it was actually a very nice vibe. But it felt like both teams were a little bit sort of slow and sluggish, and there wasn't really. I, I think the main thing you notice that it's hard to maybe even just because of where I was or whatever, it's quite hard to see a, a a cohesive plan from either team. You're not really sure how a team is playing. That's what I get sometimes. Maybe that's just mm-hmm. me, you know, not being a tactical expert. But it's, it's when you come away, it's very hard to know how a team has played. Obviously, unless they've played really well and absolutely thrashed someone, but it's very... very but relative difficult. to how they used to play. Yeah, but but also like when with with club football, you kind of get a sense of how a team sets up, don't you, and how they play and whatever. But because maybe it's because of international football, the nature of uh, twenty two different players coming together who who don't play together very often, I couldn't really tell you what the approach was or or what the style was that England were trying to play. Um, Switzerland again didn't seem to have. I couldn't really tell you what exactly they did, apart from there was a couple of great moments of individual quality. So that that's the that's the thing I noticed from when I watch club football. I kind of know what a team is trying to do less than when I. Mm. Um, another thing is, I mean, the incidents on the ground, which I, you know, we've done unpo- unpopular opinions before in the past. Like when I, if you didn't know that Harry Kane was England's. Uh, what we're going to be England's leading goal scorer and you know on paper our best player I couldn't tell you half of what Harry Kane did on on the day I watched him he 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 was absent for the game when I watched you yeah, get yeah. a very different sense of who the sort of star players are in the, within the game um, maybe he just had a bit of a quiet one I don't know what you thought watching from the sidelines but yeah that I, I couldn't tell you what Harry Kane did the whole game apart from take his penalty very well yeah I always think a lot of the players are kind of 
blunted for that reason. I obviously look a little bit more towards the Liverpool players, but I thought Jordan Henderson was playing obviously a slightly different role to how he plays for Liverpool. But it's always never quite... It's it's always a player in a different system, obviously. So they never look like the player that they, they maybe are at club level. But I think Harry Kane is the perfect person for an international game where he can just score a penalty. He can score something out of nothing where... You almost don't need him to be really central to the system. You just yeah. need him to score the goals. And he's obviously good at that. And everything that he does at Tottenham more recently, well, he does score a lot of goals, of course, more recently. Um, but he also has a very good system and a very good combination and partnership with yeah. Son. And it needs just a little bit more work to, to maybe do that with England. But also Foden was playing up front as well. So he's not necessarily going to run in behind with as much pace. I thought that for me, this is probably getting to a wider point now, but for me... Kane, Kane would suit playing with Sterling on the left and Saka on the right for me. I just think that would be yeah. electric. Those running in behind, Kane can drop in the middle sometimes. and sort of play the way. Yeah, I think that would be perfect for me. But it depends on the opposition. It's, it was just a friendly, as you say. It's just That's trying things thing. out. But yeah, interesting nonetheless. Um, and I'm glad that you enjoyed the game. Well, yeah, absolutely. And also at the time of recording, uh, we're we're recording ahead of the England versus Ivory Coast game tonight, aren't we? So it'll be interesting to see what happens mm-hmm. there. Um, there was one thing I was gonna, that I was just going to mention on this as well before we move on to the actual uh, crux of the episode. Um, I heard an interesting debate on Five Live the other night about uh, sort of England's existing players, and they were discussing who would make their uh, their first team sheet on uh, on November when we get to the World Cup. And there was an interesting point about loyalty to players, which um, is something I've been thinking about a lot today. And they were sort of just saying, you know, the the sort of shoe ins who have been part of the Southgate era, uh, who who have not had their place uh, taken away despite their club form, etc. Um, your Maguire's, I mean, John Stone's a bit of a shoe-in anyway, isn't he? But um, but but just, you know, they, they were talking about players who kind of will automatically be there regardless if they played well or not, Pickford being one of them, even though he always plays well for England. I was just wondering what your thoughts were on, on how, at what point, if someone's not playing well regularly throughout the season, do you think that they are still deserving of their international place when uh, when, when called upon? Yeah, that is a tough one. I don't really know what my answer would be. I think there'd have to be a, a threshold and a bar by which they'd have to be having a really poor, poor run of form to, to kind of drop out. But as much as it's kind of on the individual level, I think I, I totally get why Southgate is continuing with a certain group of players because if he can basically make international football as close to club football where you do yeah. have regulars, then that that would be obviously preferable. You always see it with, with club football where you've got maybe friendlies in pre-season and the, the actual game itself is is rubbish. It's obviously purely just for fitness in pre-season of club football. But the dynamic between the team is just absent. Or when you maybe sometimes have a cup game where there's just it's just the, all of the reserves sort of thrown mm. in or all of the those players on the fringe. The, the actual dynamic of the team is awful. And you kind of get that same feeling would be the same or would be very similar if you were to basically just play a bunch of players who were on form yeah. for England's first game at the World Cup because there'd be no dynamic. So having these really players, it makes, for me, a lot of sense, irrespective of form, that the dynamic is that they know that Maguire knows that Stones is alongside him, maybe Carl yeah. Walker as well, and et cetera. Shaw on his left, it, you know, et cetera. So I think that, for me, is more important maybe than form, the dynamic, the overall Yeah, it's team. a good point. The, the interesting thing off the back of that, which is the last point I'll make on this, but... Um, the, the one point that Rory Smith had uh, of the New York Times, he basically just said, they were talking about who would, you know, say Kane gets injured, um, uh, you know, for five months before the World Cup. Southgate said in one of his interviews that 
no one has yet established themselves as kind of the backup. And his point was just, well, how are you meant to establish yourself as the backup if the players who are ahead of you, regardless of form and uh, performance, are only ever going to be played because of this loyalty factor? How, if you're only getting half an hour in a friendly, Ollie Watkins, for instance, who potentially might play tonight, how are you ever going to establish yourself as the second player in, in line uh, and that goes for all positions. If if the people in front of you can't or, or can't certainly aren't being dropped because of form, and I just thought it was a really interesting chat that maybe the listeners will have an opinion on and maybe let us know. But do you know what I'm saying? Like if there's no if there's no way if you can't get in the first team because you're loyal to the players regardless of how they're playing, how does the team ever kind of move on and discover who might be playing even better in that system? True, true. I think that there does have to be maybe exceptions to the rule sometimes. It depends on the player. Obviously, Harry Kane is England's captain. Uh, yeah, um, not Kane specifically, yeah. No, but I think the Kane one's interesting. Um, and we will get to, to the crux of the episode, as you say, and people can send in their thoughts. But um, I think, with well, it was interesting on the other podcast that I do um, with work is that Michael Cox mentioned that it maybe would be if if Kane was absent through injury or whatever. I think it may be Phil Foden who could be really good at that false nine role. He's played it for for Manchester City and he's a regular within the England squad, often within the England team as well. So it's it's almost that Ollie Watkins, with the greatest of respect to Ollie Watkins, Patrick Bamford obviously injured, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has been injured and is just getting back into form. They've not shown enough evidence to actually get in front of him anyway I don't yeah. think anyone's going to come suddenly from nowhere between now and November so maybe have the players within and change the dynamic there so maybe Phil Foden could be that person that yeah, you've still got that point. same principle of Sterling and Saka on either side and you still don't change quite as much but you sort of keep the the main skill set but it's an interesting one I think we could do a whole episode on England to be honest Ryan but yeah, um, we must I have. think we're going to have to change topic to talk about brains how about that let's <laughs> It's not something I talk about very often on this podcast. (laughs) So I've sort of teased you twice on the idea of talking about brains, and that's probably quite sort of trite the way that I'm saying it. But we're sort of looking at a a specific example of the the psychological side of football this week, and it's something that we've been wanting to cover for a while, hasn't it, Ryan? I remember texting you quite Mm. a while ago um, when I saw something online about this, and it came into to prominence even more so when Liverpool won um, the AFL Cup, the Carabao Cup, um, on penalties. And they sort of credited um, some, well, it was sports psychologists, but but specifically neuroscientists who were sort of helping them with their performance. And it was another example of something which we like of how to kind of get those sort of marginal gains and small edges within football. And I just sort of thought it was an interesting one to discuss. So what's your... I guess, what's your view more broadly about sports psychology, especially in football and how that's growing, but also kind of this example, which we'll unpack? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a big old topic, isn't it? And, and actually something that I think, like you say, we haven't actually covered the psychological side of football too much historically on the Fanalytics podcast, have we? Mm. Because I think things that are a bit more quantifiable, like uh, tactics and metrics, etc., um, that are easy to put your finger on of what we've kind of studied before. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, psychology in football, I imagine, has become more and more prominent in recent years because I can't imagine them having psychological chats in the 80s as much. You kind of <laughs> get the feeling that in uh, in times gone by, it was kind of a get-on-with-it attitude and, uh, you know, the, the kind of hard-as-nails 80s player, I can't imagine would have been talking about how they were feeling mentally going into a game or into a penalty shootout, etc. Um, before we discuss this specific example, I was going to actually say though, I mean, something as well we haven't talked about very much is the fact that your background 
is actually in psychology, isn't it? Which which we, we don't really talk about too much because obviously it's all it's all football. But you have a PhD in psychology. But did that was that a way of you getting into learning about data and analytics through your work in your PhD? Yeah, it's it's something actually which people when they maybe message me about you know my my current work role, how did I get into sort of this industry? I've obviously used the PhD as the example of how I I got into it, and it wasn't sports psychology that that I did. It was a topic that was completely unrelated to obviously what we're talking about now. And we can come back mm. full circle on that use of psychology and sports psychology within football, but. Um, yeah, I did a PhD in uh, psychology specifically to do with body perception and how body perception was sort of altered amongst individuals with eating disorders. But the the crux of what I did, or the crux of what psychology research is, is using running experiments, but also using statistics based on those experiments to answer questions. And mm. the questions when I was doing my PhD were to do with that topic of body perception. And now the questions is football, but I use the same skill set, if that makes sense, yeah. to be able to use that statistical understanding and run statistical analysis to be able to answer questions. But for me, those questions are now football related, which is fun. Um, but yeah. the skill set's very much kind of the same. But it's actually something, as I say, people ask me about um, when they're trying to get into it, but I would advise people to have a, a broad statistical and data understanding if they want to to be a data analyst or a data scientist in whatever topic and then you can always apply it to to different topics you know but the the skill set is very much the same it's just applying it to different questions um so yes that is my background in in psychology but it's, it's kind of related to to this and i think almost my background does influence my thoughts on this topic that we'll come yeah. into because it's more specifically i guess the the people that we're referring to are um so it's Nicholas Hausler and Patrick Hanschke. If again, we've had a lot of names on this podcast, which have been we always pick the names, don't we? we? We never pick out John Smith, do we? Who's who's studied something to then talk about? Always make it difficult. But I think you did a Some good job at that. Thank you. Some fantastic names, and they are together. They are they make up Neuro Eleven, um, and Neuro Eleven is yeah this this scientific group, and it's based in Germany. Um, and their idea is that they develop mental strength training programs for professional sport. And we mentioned it before, but they've worked with Liverpool Football Club since pre-season. They were working with the players on them taking free kicks, um, which I've seen a video on, um, and penalties. And how they get into, I think, what's called a flow state. So a sort of a mental wow. state of calmness to be able to be in there almost thinking implicitly, working on autopilot to to block out all of the, I guess, the emotions, the the drama, especially of things like penalty shootout, um, and use use science, use data to be able to do that. So this is what we're talking about as, a, as an idea. So these are neuroscientists, um, and they've been working with Liverpool for a long time. Um, and we're going to try and unpack exactly what they're looking to do. Absolutely, and and I think there there are multiple places to start with this, aren't there, Mark? First, first and foremost, something I that strikes me straight away is we're talking again about a way that Liverpool specifically. I'm sure there are there are lots of other clubs that are looking at this as well, but how Liverpool have gone out of their way to find a company to to help them with the little marginal gains, haven't we? Mm. For for sort of uh, for for getting that edge and and for success. So we'll obviously discuss that very shortly, properly. But that's the first thing. The second thing for anyone who didn't watch the game what was it about a month ago now I can't, I can't remember mm. exactly but mm-hmm. the the Carabao Cup final between Chelsea and Liverpool for anyone who doesn't know obviously that game went to penalties 
uh, and Liverpool won, having scored all 11 of their penalties. And it was only at the very end that Kepa uh, missed his. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty good record, isn't it? Having having enlisted the help of uh, some, some specialists to come in and help with the person, then scoring 11 in a very high-pressured situation. Yeah, absolutely. And this isn't just because of, you know, I like to talk about Liverpool. This is just another example of a club kind of working at the top of their game of getting those really marginal gains. I mean, we've had Thomas Granemark on the, the podcast, the specialist throwing coach, and it's just another example of how small 1% here and there from specialists, and they are specialists, um, can come in and, and certainly help. So, yeah, it's one of those where, you know, if Liverpool would have, it's such marginal gains in that example, if Liverpool had have lost, if Kepa would have scored and Kelleher would have missed that final penalty, which was a flip of a coin because it was two goalkeepers taking it, then maybe it would have been a different story and you would have said, what's the point in the specialist? So it's it's an interesting one to unpack in that, but it's obviously clearly been been effective. Um, but yeah, this Neuro 11, they, they also work with uh, golfers and basketball players. And it's, yeah, as I say, it's trying to get into this subconscious state of mind um, is what they say um, and make sure that their focus is is sort of yeah on a, on autopilot as I say feeling automatic and and ultimately trying to then obviously boost their shooting accuracy and actually get to the, the repetition the same thing every time irrespective of the environment whether it's the first minute or the 89th minute of a free kick or a penalty their mind is in exactly the same place but and so what do you what sort of comes to mind when when I say those things? Do you do you have any doubt over it? Do you think it would make sense in terms of its its efficacy? It's what? <laughs> you, we're talking about brains, Mark, but come on, use words I can understand. Sorry. It's what? It's it's uh, efficiency or effectiveness. Oh, lovely. Okay. Um well, first of all, I would put myself in the shoes of which I which I've done several times in my life of if I was stepping up in a cup final, be it whatever competition, and I had to take a penalty, how would I react in that situation? And and I think I would crumble. So so I guess in that that was, I'm not an elite sportsman, obviously, but if if I had to try and fix anything within that situation, obviously you want yourself to be as relaxed as possible and not allow the pressure to get to you, don't you? So if you can find a way of doing that, I, I don't see how that can be a bad thing. I, I guess the you know, I don't know how for an elite sports person the the variance probably in terms of how some people deal with those situations. It's probably quite big, isn't it? Because I can't remember who it was, but I heard a professional player recently say, it might have been Micah Richards, actually. Yes, it was. Say you were on about the, Five Live in, Monday Night Club. I, th- I think so. I think I think Micah Richards said that he would just crumble if he was asked to take a penalty and would want to go after the goalkeeper. Um, you, know, you know, mental strength comes in, in lots of different ways, doesn't it? But obviously... As an elite sports person, he he was a very confident man and is a very confident man. But in that specific pressured situation, I guess people deal differently with it, don't they? And they feel the different levels of pressure. So is is that kind of what these guys are looking to the Neuro Eleven guys looking to uh, to to find a way of detecting that in a player and and how to help with it? Really, is that kind of where we're going with this? Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I think that exactly as you say, like quantify it and think about it far more objectively because. <laughs> For me, even if it is kind of placebo effect, and even if there isn't kind of a change in your neural activity based on a certain state that you're in in training and making sure you're in that same state within the game, even if that isn't exactly the case and it is placebo effect, in your mind at that time, as long as it works for you and you think that you are in the same state, it doesn't matter whether you are because as long as you almost trick yourself into it, if that makes sense, the main thing is that you are as comfortable as you can be. So... 
I th- yeah, I, I think that's right. I think, well, I'll, I'll go into a little bit more depth and detail as to what they sort of look to do and then maybe give some thoughts as to right, my thoughts on it, basically. So what what happens in terms of the training side of it is that the players are fitted with, with headsets. So they have sort of a pack on their back and headsets obviously on their head and it records their brain activity when they're in, on the training pitch and then Neuro11 then calculate their, um, what they've called their neural activity index. So as I say, there's some videos online, which we could put in the bio as to kind of this in action. And it's really interesting to see, don't get me wrong. Um, And on their website as well, they've kind of unpacked it. And they they don't want to give too much away. They don't want to give away their trade secrets. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But um, they've said that there's three things, which I think is a, a strength of theirs, is that it's first and foremost scientific. So looking to really look at this objectively rather than yeah maybe sort of the talking side of the cognitive side yeah. of uh, psychology it's very objective in their in their way they say that we don't rely on motivational slogans false promises or emotional appeals we only use data-based methods which is really interesting what is yeah. also really interesting which kind of links back to me and my psychology background is that what they do is on the pitch because a lot of what i would do in terms of the experiments would have to be in as most controlled conditions as possible so that you could kind of yeah. isolate what was the the thing that you're maybe manipulating would have its effect. Now, what they do is very much on the pitch in real life, which is a real challenge, but their training takes place um, yeah, on a, from a free kick or on the penalty spot, which is obviously where it then happens in real life. Yeah. The third one is uh, goal-orientated. So they said, as Neuro11 coaches, we'll work with you on an individual basis to map out realistic, short and long-term goals. So it's obviously specific and bespoke to whatever you know whatever the club needs so if it's penalties for one free kicks for another could be other maybe set pieces or whatever it may be um they clearly work with all of them so really interesting um very sort of scientific um and as i say i think that's the main thing for me ryan that it's on the pitch and they're able to replicate it in very much in the environment where it's actually going to happen Absolutely. And actually, I've got uh, something in front of me here, just which is a bit of a summary of what we've just talked about, which is really good. Uh, James Pierce, one of your colleagues from The Athletic, uh, spoke to one of the guys, uh, Hausler, earlier on in the season um, around this time. And uh, basically, there's a direct quote here, which when, when speaking to The Athletic, they said that um, they try to help players, inverted commas, control their brain when it matters most, especially when pressure and fatigue are kicking in. Because that's another factor of it, isn't it? You know, you, late on yeah. in the game, we're talking about pressure, as, uh, fatigue as well as precision and decision-making, exactly. Um, each human has certain brain states, sometimes more, more relaxed, sometimes we're more agitated. What research has shown is that in either case, whether you're too relaxed or too agitated, it can be suboptimal to get what we call in the zone. When you're able to perform at your best, you let your motor output run automatically. You don't have to think about it. It's just happening. What we do with a player is we decipher with them and figure out what parts of this process help him or her to get into that brain state, which is which is really interesting, isn't it? You're basically, like you say, on the pitch, trying to with each individual case study, trying to work out, I guess, how their brain works, what which side they sort of lean on. And then what's the best way to counteract it, whether you're too agitated or, or too nervous or whatever it's, it's just a really interesting concept isn't it yeah no it is really interesting and you know these people are very very well qualified they're neuroscientists so clearly they've they've found something here that is you know maybe a game changer within the industry um so i, I do think that's that's really good and i completely agree with the idea that obviously fatigue is, is does affect decision making um and different states 
do also affect your decision making if you're in a stadium full of 100,000 people versus on a training pitch um, taking a penalty those two are going to be very different now that is yeah, guaranteed there's no disputing that I think I think the skeptic in me is sort of interested in the idea of how those brain states can be measured in real life on the training pitch when as I mentioned before we strive within the psychological research that I've done mm. strive to have absolute uh, controlled conditions even for very very small things so for yeah. example I ran a, a functional MRI study um, during my PhD so that measures brain activity in a different way but you know have you seen well people will be familiar with MRI scanners so you know you go yeah, into the yeah. big magnetic donut um, and what functional MRI is is basically looking at yeah the the brain activity during specific tasks so something might flash up on the screen while you're in the scanner and you maybe a certain area of your brain might light up because there's more blood going to it and you sort of infer yeah. things from that now that's what I, I did so this functional MRI measures brain activity and it detects change associated with this blood flow now we did it and I've obviously been a part of it as a participant as well as being the experimenter and we had to make sure that there was literally no movement within their head now we had to yeah. sort of keep them really tightly packed in really really controlled so that if they were to even sort of shake their head in the slightest way it would really really disrupt how we could then measure that brain activity because it's just like almost shaking a bottle of water if you're trying to localize yeah, where that yeah. bubble is you can't really do it quite as easily and maybe very good example a, maybe it was a poor analogy i don't know but then no it's good <laughs> <laughs> now what the the work that they're doing at neuro 11 I, and i'm not entirely sure but what it looks like is uh, more akin to eeg now this is electroencephalography now that's a big word but it essentially essentially looks to looks more at kind of brain waves and electrical activity on your brain but it's it's less i guess what's called less invasive so you're essentially wearing a, a, a cap on your scalp mm. and then small metal discs with thin wires are attached to your cap um, and your your scalp with basically electrodes and then you can look at the activity of your brain cells that way so it's a slightly different way and it's as i say slightly less invasive you're not in a massive scanner you basically just sat with this sort of cap on now, yeah. I've been a participant for that as well. And you have to stay really still maybe while you're looking at a computer screen um, and really not move as well because it's you get what's called artifacts. So just movement artifacts will make that, the activity that you're trying to find, what's called signal, um, yeah. that, will make, that, that will lose a lot of the signal and it will create what's called a lot of noise. And not noise in terms of, it's actually like you can hear a lot of noise of the volume. Yeah, yeah. Noise in terms of trying to tease out what is measurable and what is just kind of nonsense, other stuff going on like movement and whatnot. Now, my the skeptic in me is wondering how someone can almost sprint to a free kick or to a penalty with a lot of movement and that cap I still be able to measure accurately those brain waves and those brain states. Now, I, I'm not a neuroscientist like like these guys are, so they clearly are doing some, some very good work, but I'm, be, I'm just interested to know what how they do it accurately in terms of that those measurable brain states so that's yeah. my that's my skeptic rant if you want to call it over and i'd be interested to know what other people think obviously send in their their thoughts but does that make sense as to why i'm maybe thinking about it 100 percent. i mean actually it'd be interesting to see my brain trying to light up trying to follow you saying all that i was i was literally word <laughs> for word trying to try, try, intensely stare and, and and follow what you meant but yeah abs absolutely i mean it's fascinating really isn't it? and, and you can totally see to bring it back round. you can totally see why 
top end coaches, top end clubs are looking to to get the expertise from from these guys, can't you? Like there's if you can kind of find a way to 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 learn that about your players, why why wouldn't you utilize it and use it? And I think again, the there'll be a lot of skeptics who just say, ah, so they're rubbish. You don't need to attach mm. electrodes to someone's brain, taking a penalty, just take the penalty. But mm. every player is very good at taking penalties these days, aren't they? At the highest level. So if if you've got something that allows you to get your player into the the sort of the calmest, best state they can be, and the most optimal condition they can be to take a penalty, in such a final or a high pressure situation why wouldn't you explore doing it so i think it's it's very very interesting it really is yeah no i agree and i think it's becoming more popular across the whole of sport but i think sports psychology is really undervalued at the elite level and that's not to say that it's not used as i say it's it's growing and it's it's very much a part of you know football specifically i think a lot of clubs now do have a psychologist whether it's kind of on site or the referred psychologist so that's not to say they don't have one, but I do think it's very much undervalued, maybe amongst fans in the sort of the wider population, because it is so important, especially at that elite level. Well, well, that leads me on to your question, actually, Mark. From your knowledge, I mean, you might not be able to answer this, I don't know, but from your knowledge, do, do you think there's still quite a way to go with um, psychological use in, in, in football highly high level sport but but football specifically in the same sense that you know we've 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 talked about nutrition haven't we before and the and the distance that that has covered since mm-hmm. since the 90s the 80s etc etc even from 20 years ago and, and the sort of the marginal gains clubs are getting in that sense do you think that the use of psychological techniques has still got quite a way to go before you've kind of squeezed everything out of it i think so and and also, I've got to be careful that I don't really know exactly what's going on within clubs. So yeah, typically, yeah, as you know, Ryan, you know my personality type is to caveat everything that I say. But I do think <laughs> that is true, was that I can't sort of complain or say that there's a long way to go too strongly if I don't exactly know what's going on. But I do think maybe as a society, and this is probably a broad topic, but specifically within professional sport, I don't think you have to see a psychologist when things aren't going great or when you need help with something. I think it would be really really productive for all elite athletes to be able to see a sports psychologist well they do but more commonly um, when things are just kind of going normally and be able to have that toolbox and be equipped with how to how to respond how to behave how to think how to act when when they're just doing their normal sort of daily sport rather than when they're in a poor run of form or when they need to change something or when they need to work on a certain technique like a penalty or a free kick I think equipping people with with knowledge and understanding will empower them to actually then operate at their highest level all the time not just when something maybe goes wrong which which I'm sure is the case for for a lot of you know a lot of athletes but um, I think that should be something more widespread absolutely Oh, it's been it's been a good one, this Mark. I mean, I feel like my brain hurts slightly. Uh, from, yeah, sorry. I, yeah, it's not I, talking I really about free kicks, this. is it? And wait, if you like them in top bins, it's it's different, this, isn't it? But yeah, I I like it. We should look. I've I've very much enjoyed this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, good to hear your personal experiences as well about you know sort of the fact that you've had the, these techniques used on you as well. And I liked the way you described it as a big donut uh, in terms of you know which you put people in, which is fun. So yeah, I, I think it's very very <laughs> interesting. That's what you took from the whole thing. That it's like. What a big else did donut. you think I would take from that? Of course, you mentioned donut, and I was then trying to picture a big donut with someone, <laughs> someone inside it not moving, trying to scan their brainwaves. Well, thank you for 
Well, for listening intently. And thank you, listeners, for, for listening intently. I know that it was a, a, a different one uh, to normal, but we like to vary things anyway, don't we, on the on the podcast. We like to talk about tactics, obviously, stats and, and analytics. But I think this is another example of a, an episode where it shows how clubs are trying to get a marginal gain. Um, and fortunately, I was able to draw upon some experience to help with that. So um, maybe some people might want to rewind by 15 minutes and listen to it again if if it was going a little bit too technical there but um thank you thank you for listening everybody if you have any questions of course we want everyone's thoughts but if you have any questions um or would like to know more then um we'll put as much of as we can in the links in the bio um but of course you can get in contact with us and that is via email of course fanalytics.pod at gmail.com or, of course, you can speak to us on Instagram and Twitter. We'll try and get back to you as quick as we can. And that is at Fanalytics Pod. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.